Well, about 23 years ago, I was standing at the front of a crowded church and uh, I was wearing my smartest jacket and pair of trousers, as Home Learning Scots Focus Week has taught me to say this week. And uh, I was waiting because it was my wedding day and my best man was next to me. And after what seemed like a bit of a wait, he leaned over and he whispered to me, she's here. And I didn't need to ask him who. Who are you talking about? Who is this mystery she? Because everybody knew and I knew that we were waiting for the bride. We were waiting for Julie to come. And Julie did come. She came down the aisle and she wowed the room and she wowed me. She has the capacity to to do that. And I want us to look at some verses in Revelation chapter 21 where it talks about the bride the wife of the lamb, and it's a wow moment in the book of Revelation. We've already had a wow moment that Luke shared with us last week. Revelation 1, the resurrected Jesus, he looks amazing, and people just want to worship when they see that Jesus. But it's all leading towards this other point in Revelation 21 and 22, where we see the church in all of its beauty and glory, and it's a wow revelatory moment. The angel says, Come and see the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And the groom is Jesus. And we're about to meet his companion to be for all of eternity. And that companion is to be his church. It's his people of all ages gathered to him. And he loves his bride. Today I want to help us to look, to love and to listen as we look at these verses together. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the twelve names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it is wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be twelve thousand stadia in length, and as wide and as high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. Grateful for that. 
The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each made of a single pearl. The great streets of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I didn't see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Revelation is a picture book, not a storybook. And those early Christians, as they read these images, these pictures, they would have found great delight and excitement and comfort as they read and heard these pictures being described. And so can we if we understand them. And here's the first thing we've been invited to look at. It's the bride. It's the bride, the wife of the Lamb. There's a lot of different metaphors going on in these verses, but let's persevere and let's unpack them. So this holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. It's the image of delight, union and comfort. And you can ask yourself as you look at this verse and you think, how did the church get to be like that? How did she get to be beautiful? How did she get to be so delightful to God? Because if we're honest, our, our understanding of church history sometimes, and sometimes the pain of our own experience of church life, can leave us feeling like, well, it doesn't always feel that beautiful. How did the church get to be so beautiful? The answer is because Jesus made her that way. And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 27 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. How does the church get to be blameless and without stain, and without wrinkle, and radiant, and loved by Jesus, and beautiful? The answer is because Jesus laid down his life for her, to make her that way. And not only that, but Jesus seems to get out his scrubbing brush. Not only does he lay down his life, but he cleanses with the washing of the water of the word. He disciples his church, he disciples you and me, and he makes us ready to be his eternal companion forever. Now, in a good marriage, partners make each other look better than they really are. And Jesus makes his church so much better than she would otherwise be by herself because he makes us pure and holy. The church gets to be radiant and holy, not because she is, but because Jesus makes her so. How does he do it? Well, it gives us a clue that she's the wife of the lamb. You think, well, that's a strange metaphor. Lambs don't have wives. In the book of Revelation, other than in chapter 1, where Jesus is depicted in his risen glory 
as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, he, and, and worshipped. Other than that, he's generally described as being the Lamb. In fact, that transition happens in Revelation chapter 5, and somebody says, Behold, the Lion of Judah. And John, who's trying to write down the vision, he's looking around, he says, Where? Where is the Lion? And then he says, Then I saw a Lamb looking as if it had been slain at the centre of the throne. See, the most powerful act that we can know as human beings is this, that Jesus gave his life for us. The Lion of Judah is this lionish lamb, the one who became sacrificed on our behalf so that our sins could be atoned for, so that we could know God and we could be pure before him. Church, you are beautiful because Jesus made you so. But we're invited to look further because this bride, this wife of the lamb, we're just going to add another metaphor in, which is now she's also a city. This wife, this bride, the wife of the lamb, she looks like a city. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God as a bride for her husband. It's the image of a dwelling place. And throughout the Bible, you get the image of God dwelling among his people. You see it in Eden with the first man and the first woman. They get excluded because of their sinful behavior. You see it again in the wilderness when God leads his people with a fiery, cloudy pillar and the tabernacle. You see it in David's time. David asks if he can build a temple to house the Ark of the Covenant where God dwelt among his people. But there was always a sense of the temporary nature of it because God cannot be contained by human structures. In fact, uh, Isaiah prophesied this um, after the people of God got exiled. Uh, he, he said, uh, Isaiah 66, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? So God's people were saying, well, we've got the temple. God lives with us. And God was saying, this is never going to be big enough for me. The only structure that can be the home and the house of God is the structure that God makes himself. Now, here's the amazing thing that we've just read in these verses today. This is a city that came down from heaven. It's the creation of God. The church is the creation of God. It's not just an institution it's not just where the followers of Jesus all gather together. It's not like a chess club or a sports club where like-minded people gather. It's the place of God's choosing. It's the place that he designed. It's the place that he built and is building to be his home forever. In Revelation 21, we're reading about this dwelling place, not made by man, but made by God. And its beauty and its permanence isn't dependent on our view of it, because sometimes our experience of church, and even what we read in these verses, it looks awfully sugarly. See, I don't know who you'd put in the foundations of your church, but here's the foundations of the eternal church of all ages, the 12 apostles of the Lamb, verse 14. The 12 apostles, well, who were they? Peter was overly emotional. James and John were big-headed. Matthew had a questionable former career. Thomas had a tendency to cynicism. These were the people that God used as the foundation for his church. 
The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The prophets of old, you read through the Old Testament, they were shaky characters sometimes. You know, leaders of any church are not perfect people. Every leader is a work in progress. It's how God has ordained it to be. Uh, I was just reading about pearls the other day. These gates of the city described as being just giant pearls. A pearl has a very obscure beginning in that usually it's when something that shouldn't get into the oyster gets in, a, a parasite or a sea worm or something, and the, uh, the, the, pearl, the, the oyster basically spits on it and covers it with this fluid that then goes hard and it does it again and again and again. And this is how the pearl grows. If you drill into the heart of a pearl, you'll sometimes get a, a, a sort of a gross liquid that can seep out sometimes. And that's because these pearls, this dwelling place of God, it's built with imperfect things that God then sanctifies and makes holy. Verse 19, it talks about precious stones, jasper, sapphire, emerald, onyx, ruby, all these different things, multicolored, diverse beauty. But do you know the thing about precious stones is this, they're, they're not diamonds, diamonds are hard. Diamonds are the things you put on the end of your drill to get through a concrete wall. But you would never put an emerald on the end of a drill because it would just break. These are soft. God puts human fragility into the heart of this glorious thing and diversity. If you want to make something strong, we all know this, you just build it of all the same bricks. But in God's wisdom, he pulls together all these precious, fragile stones Different peoples, different tribes, different tongues, different nations, different ages and stages, different demographics. This is a church for all. It's a church for all kinds of people, all kinds of backgrounds. Now, that's not what makes it glorious. It's verse 11 that tells us what makes it glorious and beautiful. It's this, it is God. So God takes this hodgepodge of different things and stones and that are all kind of all over the place and it says, God makes it glory. It shone with the glory of God. You know, the aspiration of the church of Jesus should never simply just to be excellent or as good as we can be. Or, of course, we want to be those things for Jesus. But it's this, it's to make sure that we're asking him to make us glorious. Because that's the thing that really sets us apart. His glory fills this house and it says he will wipe every tear from their eyes verse 4 the old things coming undone there's no death no mourning no crying no pain do you know the church is a place where healing can happen from all kinds of trauma jesus can bring his healing through the people of god through his bride in fact in chapter 22, it goes on to tell us that there's a river that flows out from the temple, from the people of God into the nations of the world. And alongside the, the banks of this river, there's trees growing and there's leaves growing on the trees. There's lots of life. And it says these leaves are for the healing of the nations. I couldn't think of something more beautiful right now that on, uh, as people talk about a post-COVID world and the, the devastation that COVID is going to reap across the planet, that Jesus, through his church, 
is going to heal the nations through the river of God, the presence of God flowing out of his people to bring healing to the nations. That's what he wants to do through you and I. It's a place of protection. You can't help but notice these enormous walls. And he actually gives us dimensions of the place. The the point of the dimensions isn't to give us a certain size. Um, It's this 12,000 times 12,000 stadia, 12,000 tall. It's basically just saying perfectly enormous, perfectly big, vast. And for the fullest and most perfect number of people for all to come in. It's the place that God has prepared for you if you are a believer. It's a place that he's promised to get ready for you. It's a place that if you're not a believer watching this today, that if you put your faith in Jesus, you can become a part and you can have a place made for you in this dwelling place. Have you seen it? Have you looked and have you seen the beauty of the church. Have you been wowed by it? It's so easy in these times, friends, to, 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 to see it less than she really is. Because we're not doing the things we normally do. We're not meeting. We're not uh, enjoying the presence of God together and singing together and hearing God's word together and having communion together. This is so imperfect, what we're doing right now, and we're so aware of that. But God wants to put in a a, a love in our hearts, a longing in our hearts for his church, a love for his church. Jesus loves it. Can you tell from the description we've read? So much detail, so much analogy. He's so invested in his future. Do you? Are you? Paul Bilheimer said this, in spite of all her lamentable weaknesses, appalling failures and indefensible shortcomings, the church is the mightiest force for civilization in the world today. Why? Because it's God's choice. Sometimes you can find yourself saying, well, I love Jesus, but in honesty, I could take or leave his church. But in the words of Frank Sinatra, love and marriage, love and marriage, they go together like a horse and carriage. You can't have one without the other. When Saul, before he became the Apostle Paul, he was a persecutor of the church. He was walking on the road to Damascus, ready to persecute some Christians. And the resurrected Jesus, the ascended Christ, he came down from heaven to to Paul to stop him. And you know what? The, the voice that he heard didn't say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting those Christians over there? He didn't say, Saul, Saul, I know they're annoying, but can you just go easy on them, please? He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That's how Jesus feels about his church. That's how he feels about pain. That's how he feels about the experiences that you and I are facing just now and the challenges that we're finding with church and life in general, he feels it. He feels every moment of it as if it's himself. Touch my church and touch me is how we could paraphrase that. Love the church and love Jesus. Let me invite you to love her. 
Love her by showing kindness to difficult people. Love her by turning up when nobody else does. Love her by being generous with your time and with your money. Love her by speaking well of her when others are talking her down. Love her by praying for her and praying for her success and her protection and her advance. Do you love the church? And here's the final point. Listen. Listen. You can't read the book of Revelation without coming across this phrase. Let the one who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation finishes with the Spirit and the Bride. That's God, the Holy Spirit, and the church, his people, both saying at the same time, come, come Lord Jesus. Prayer weeks are exciting, not because we work through our lists, but because it gives the Spirit an opportunity to connect our hearts with God's and our longings with his. And in these restrictive times, we just have to be very flexible. There's no structures that we can kind of point to at the moment and say, well, this is how we do church at the moment because everything is so limited. But, you know, the Holy Spirit, just like he did in the book of Acts, just like he did throughout the New Testament, and as he has done through history, he's more than able to direct us if we listen to him. I, I just happened to be in Tesco the other day. And uh, I was in a bit of a grumpy mood, if I'm honest. I just wanted to get in and out. I hate the face masks and all of that. I just wanted to get in and out with my shopping. And, and uh, anyway, I always go to the, one of the same three tills people I've chatted to before. And uh, usually because we have something in common about football or something. And I said I'd queued up and I was just chatting. And uh, the, the, the lady who was taking my uh, shopping through, she said, so you're still working at home then? And I just said, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I just had one of those nudges from the Spirit. You know what it's like? And I just felt God saying, tell her. And I just packed my shopping for a bit more. And then I just sort of said something like, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not easy working from home, is it? But, you know, and to be honest, my job, I'm, I'm actually a church leader. I'm a minister of a church. And, and uh, I, I, yeah, I... Uh, I find that hard to work from home because, you know, often you need to see people and stuff. And, and she stopped. She said, oh, she said, that's interesting. She said, because you don't look like a church leader. I was greatly encouraged by this. And, uh, and, and I said, what, what do you mean by that? She said, oh, she said, I hope I haven't offended you. And I said, no, no, not at all. And uh, I, I said, I'm actually quite glad you've said that. She said, well, she said, it's just I got invited to another church another time. She said, and uh, she said, actually, the guy talking, he'd actually been in prison for murder. He, but he had this story about how Jesus had changed his life. And she said it was an amazing story. And it wasn't a long conversation because there was a queue of people building up behind. But I said, well, you know what? I've heard stories like that again and again and again because Jesus changes lives. And it was just a great moment helping her move along in her journey and an encouragement for me too. Here's the invitation this week as we move into a week of prayer. Let's be hearing God together. These are precious times when God speaks to us. Allow passion to stir in you as you seek him. Let's worship 
now and let's give our devotion to Jesus and what he's calling us to do in building his church, his beautiful bride, and bringing his glory into the nations of the world.